I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Welcome to episode 73 of the Step Over Podcast. I am Jim Adair. With me, as always, is Max Rappaport. Max, we're basically on the eve of the season here. How are you feeling? I'm feeling real good, Jim. This is good. This is good. We got the season starting on Tuesday. Uh, you're likely hearing this if you if you jump on it right away, either on Sunday or Monday. Um, so gearing up for the... The not only the the Sixers season debut, but the NBA's season debut, the opening game of the entire season against the Celtics in Boston, um, and we figured a good way to kind of go into how the season's going to go, how we think it's going to go, and kind of bridge on a bunch of topics that way is by taking on all the over unders um, for individualized stats, over under for wins, uh, and then we made up some over unders of our own as well. Uh, so we should just hop right on in there, Max. How do you feel about yeah, it? I- I feel pretty good about that. Let's jump okay, right in. So I have them listed here. Uh, they're kind of sectioned off, uh, but we will just start straight up with uh, over-under of wins, which is currently, these are all by from Bovada, just in case anyone's fact-checking us, and they have changed in, in the time between doing it now and posting it. Uh, the current over-under of wins for Bovada is 53.5. Where are you going? Uh, it's hard because that's, I think that's a really good really good line um i feel more confident in the under for that uh only because i think the win total will be somewhere around where it was last year which is 52 uh 52 wins like i would i would say that either like 49 50 51 52 are more likely than um above where the the over under set like i think they could get to i think there's a chance they get to 55 there's a chance they I'd say an outside chance to get into the high fifties, but I'd say it's much more likely that an, an injury occurs. They um, struggle for some reason. The Fultz experiment doesn't work out and they finish right around or slightly below where they did last year. Um, mm-hmm. And I say that too, because, you know, last year was a little bit of an outlier in the sense that, um, you know, they won, what was it? 17 or 18 straight games to end the regular season they were on right. pace to win something like 44 or 45 games, ended up with 52 because of that. Um, and I think they're better this year. And I think Embiid and Simmons are both going to be significantly better, especially Embiid. But I don't know if that makes up a lot more ground than like last year. I thought, given how they played the whole year, probably should have been more like 48 wins, um, sure. 47 wins. Uh, so I would I would say if you add like five, six, seven wins to that, that's around where I think they'll be this year. Um, I'm just not super confident they'll blow through that that over under number. Yeah, so I had the way I thought about it was this. So the, uh, the number at fifty three point five. What's more likely that they're a game and a half over that or a game and a half under that? That's how I was looking at it. So does it seem more likely to me that they win fifty two games or fifty five games? And I think fifty five is entirely possible. Um, I'd say it's probably like if if the options were fifty two and fifty five. I'd probably put it about 45% chance, but I had to give the 55% chance to 52 wins. 
um, for this basically the same exact reasons you said. I think they'll be a better team to start the year. I've said this a couple of times. Uh, they'll be a better team to start the year because for the first, you know, half of last year, uh, they weren't really playing that much, like much of a team, more of a collection of guys. The bench was near unplayable. Uh, and they kind of came into their own at the end. They strung off all those wins in a row. So that was kind of a bit of an outlier. Like, I don't, I think they'll be better at Christmas than they were last year. I think they were going into the Christmas Day game. I think they were a game below 500 last year. I think they'll be probably a handful of games above 500 at Christmas this year. Um, but I don't think they'll string off those 18 in a row again, like you said. Um, I think it's entirely possible they come out with the exact same record. So I'm also taking the under. Uh, if I had to guess, I would probably say 52. Um, I'm also keeping track of these and we'll look back on them at the end of the year of who, oh, man. who said what. That's, so, that's rough. Yeah, so uh, we'll go. We both took the under on that. So we will go now to the individual players. We're going to start. Um, we're going to go uh, by statistical category, not by player. So we're going to do a bunch of points per games, a couple of assists per games, rebounds per games, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so starting off, you know, with this, a light, easy, you know, easy guess, easy one. Uh, Markel Fultz, points per game. Uh, the line Ugh. is set at 10.5. For reference, in 14 games last year, he averaged 7.1 points. I'm, I'm going over on that. I'm pretty confident that uh, he's going to play enough minutes that he'll get over 10.5. Uh, I'd probably put it somewhere around like 12 or 13 points a game. Uh, that's like a conservative estimate, I guess. I think there's much, this is the inverse of the over-under for for wins. I could much more easily see him being um, just above the, the number set uh, or mm-hmm. even much higher than that than I can see him being in the in the single digits. Yeah, I absolutely feel the same way. I think, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for like a 14. Um, I think maybe that's a little bit, a little bit uh, greedy of me, but... I think that's that's probably of all the the the, the things I'm going to say here throughout the rest of this. That's probably the one I feel almost the most comfortable with, um, just because it seems ten point five seems low. So I'm I'm taking the over as well with that. Next is Robert Covington, who scored twelve point six points per game last year, and his over under is set at twelve points per game. Oh, that's that feels really low. Um... I was hoping it was going to be like 13 or 13 and a half. And I was going to go under on that under 12 is tough, but I, I actually think I'm going to take the under just because I expect uh, Embiid to get a lot more touches. Um, I expect Fultz and like if Fultz being on the floor more to affect that. Um, I just think there's going to be less for Covington. I think Covington, Sharich and Redick are all probably going to take a bit of a backseat um, in terms of production and maybe even Ben Simmons to an extent, just from a scoring standpoint. Like, yeah, I just um, think they're gonna really they're gonna really work and beat a lot in that way, and then I think Fultz is gonna just him being on the floor instead of TJ McConnell. Um, yeah, I really think will will take away from Covington. Yeah, um, I was I was kind of on the on the line here, and I was going to go under, but considering we have taken the same position on two of the three so far, I'm going to take the over. Uh, I want to say barely over, like maybe twelve point two, but I think. Asking him to do a little bit less by having Markel Fultz, especially if he's in the starting lineup, be kind of the person who can put the ball on the floor and just really kind of telling Robert Covington, like, dude, just be a spot-up shooter. He supposedly worked on his driving and his handling uh, over the summer. So I don't think he's going to take a huge jump forward, but I could see 
being like a 12.4 to 12.6 like it was last year. So I'll, I'll take the over on that one. Uh, the next yeah, one we've been... I was going to say with coming in too, my hope is that it's it's under but more efficient. Like like you said, sure, just absolutely. that he's expected to not do as much. Maybe he's not. Like, last year he took 6.9 threes a game. Right. Um, which is more than Redick and and just a really high number. Like I I don't anticipate that being repeated. Um, my yeah. hope is that it's more like five and a half and he's hitting in the high 30s instead of, you know, mid 30s to 37%. Yeah. Um. Next up is Ben Simmons, points per game. Uh, his line is set at 15. Last year, he put up 15.8. I know this kind of goes against what I said a minute ago. I'm going to go over on that. Um, I think his his field goal attempts are either going to be like identical to last year or maybe even a little less. He took uh, just a, a hair over 12 shots a game. But I think he'll get to the line a little bit more this year, and I think he'll hit more at the line. Um so he averaged 15.8 last year, uh, only making 56% of his uh, over four free throws a game. I feel like if he can just up that to like 65% um, and gets the line a little bit more, which he's, he's, uh seems like he's going to be able to do just because he's worked on you know finishing inside and, and um, worked on his, his uh, ability to get to the hole. Like I, I think... I don't know. I guess I see that efficiency making up for any la- any re- like reduced role offensively in terms of scoring. See, I'm thinking the over as well, but and I, I I'm basing it less off of the increase in efficiency from the line, which I do hope will happen, but more of the fact that if Fultz is able to be there and kind of be a distributor and handle the ball, then Ben can do a lot more off ball when he really you know he was able to do that stuff last year, but there wasn't really that one go to reliable passer. A lot of times you can get him that ball when he's doing these sharp cuts and stuff. So I have him at the over. Um, I think he'll probably do a little bit less than last year, which is 15.8, so maybe like 15.5, 15.3 or something like that. Um, but I do have him have the over just specifically because I think uh, giving that that other kind of angle to his game and having him play off ball a little bit more will be able to increase his um, efficiency at the rim um, and then hopefully as well from getting foul calls. Uh, next, I think is a little bit of a tough one because the line is also just perched at the exact right point. Uh, Dario Saric, uh, they have him at 14.5. Last year, Dario averaged 14.6 points per game. Now, mm-hmm. I know from looking at it a little while ago that in like the last three months of the season, I think he was like above 17 per game. Um, but that was on that that win streak stretch where Embiid missed a lot of games too, so he was a heightened part of the offense. His three pointer was just dropping. I think in in the last full month of the year, he shot forty eight percent from three almost on a lot of attempts. Uh, that's not going to happen again consistently. Um, I'm going to take the under on this one just because I think even the most minor of stepbacks puts him right under that line. Um, I don't even think it's necessarily going to be a step back situation. Just his role might be a little different as it has been every single time he's on the floor so far. Um, lineups are be different with, with Fultz in there and uh, having someone even like a Muscala uh, on the floor, say with Dario. Uh, and if you want Muscala to kind of play that stretch role, are you really going to kind of camp both Dario and Muscala out past the line? And, you know, I think there's a lot more, more um, chances for Dario to be down low and, and maybe trying to bully around down low, but we've seen he needs to work on that and work on throwing his weight around a little bit. So, I'm going to take the under. I'm probably going to say he's probably in like 13 and a half, so maybe like a full point under. Yeah, I'm pretty confident in the under on this one. Um, 
you know, he's been really consistent his first two years in the league, but I, I feel like, um, I don't expect the efficiency to stay where it was. Like he shot 30 over 39% from three last year. Um, I expect that to dip a little bit. Um, also, I just think his role is going to be a little bit reduced. Like, I, I think his minutes, his minutes will probably be around where they were last year. He played just under 30 minutes a game. Um, maybe it'll be a little bit lower than that. I, I don't really anticipate that taking a big hit, but I do think the addition of faults, I think Embiid's progression, um, I think all those things, especially Embiid, I think will take away from what they're expecting Dario to do. Um, the only thing that maybe you would say is that if Embiid's worked on passing out of double teams, that might help and and teams are needing to double and be more because he's just been a complete monster in the preseason and, and looks like the best he's ever looked. Maybe you see a guy like Dario benefiting from that um, and maybe Covington also, but I, I'm kind of, I'm hedging that. I, I, I think uh, you're going to see a, a reduced role for a lot of those kind of ancillary pieces like Dario, like Covington mm-hmm. um, and even Redick. So I'll take the under on that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Redick, he's up next. Uh, last year, he scored 17.1 points per game, and they set the line for him at 15 and a half. Mm. So that has him dropping 1.6. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a big drop. I was I was hoping it would be right around the same as last year. Um, You said 15.6? 15.5. 15.5. Um, I'm going to go under on that, too. I just I think his minutes are going to be a little bit less this year. Like he's already right for right now, at least not starting or at least not, not starting the first half. He played 30.2 minutes last year. And I just I think that might be a little closer to like 28, 27, especially if Fultz ends up looking good. Um, so, yeah, I'll take the under, I'll take the under on that. I feel I feel pretty good about it being just a shade under that right around 15. I'm actually going to take the over on it. Um, no scientific method to it. I just. From what I've, you know, he's getting up there in age and you keep thinking like, oh, maybe he'll start to fall off a little bit, maybe this, maybe that. But he's shown absolutely no signs of slowing down. He looked incredible in the preseason, um, even with the the NBA poops. Um, and I just don't think, I mean, I think if he's consistently above that 15 and a half, then that does, that works absolute wonders for your team. Um, so I think for the for the, for the the good of the team, I would, I would want to take the over on that. And I'm going to go with that just for... Um, more of a hope than like a, a gut feeling that it will be there, but I want it to be over that, so I'll take the over. Um, and then the next one, our last for the for the point total, um, is outside of Markel Fultz, the only over under in points that was above the players' total from last year. Uh, Joel Embiid mm-hmm. scored twenty two point nine points per game last year, and his over under was set at twenty three and a half. I'm de- I'm definitely taking the over on that. Um, you know, I've kind of alluded to that throughout, like taking the under on a lot of players who I think will have a reduced role compared to Embiid this year. I think Embiid's going to be closer to 24, 25. Um, and I even think there's a chance it's a little bit higher than that if he really has a, an awesome season. My hope is that there's a bit of a reduction in, in the number of threes he takes and they yeah, just feed absolutely. him inside a little bit more and let him face up. And I, I could see him having kind of like a Boogie Cousins-like offensive season. That's my hope. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about Joel Embiid's three-pointers. And I think at this point, I mean, he looked good in the beginning of his rookie year, and then it kind of fell off, and then it never really picked back up last year. So 
you got to start basically trying to ask the question of, is that really a part of his game? Right. I mean, he shot what? 30% last year or something like that, which, um, yeah, 30.8, 30.8 on how many attempts a game was it? 3.4. A lot. So I think the question is not, um, the, the, the more realistic hope is not that he still shoots 3.4 attempts a game and makes more of them. It's just that he shoots 30 to 31%, but he only takes about one and a half a game. And I think that's the more realistic hope. Um, and that's what I'm kind of hoping for this year. But I think you're exactly right that I, he's going to, you know, have a, a dom- the dominant year that has been building since he first walked onto the court, essentially. Um, and I think I could see him even being as high as 25 plus. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I, I see more of a chance of him finishing 25 plus than I do of him being below. Like, I, I think there's almost no chance he's below the 22.9 he had last year. I agree. Yeah. I, I find I find that really hard to imagine. Like what what would have to happen for him to be below that? Yeah. Um. So we're off the points now. I'll, I'm going to do a quick reshuffling of what I have here since we were just talking about Joel Embiid anyway. Um. He's the only person who's got an over under prop on his blocks per game. Uh. He blocked 1.8 shots per game last year. Two and a half his rookie year, and the line for this season is set at 2.1. I'm going to go under on that. You got to stop agreeing with um, me, man. We got to start disagreeing uh, on some of these things. Yeah, I know. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to go under just because the, typically blocks are a category that, and, and you saw that certainly with Embiid uh, first to second last year, or for, first to second year, um, that just kind of decrease over time. Like players become better about just playing solid defense instead of chasing blocks. Um, and also there's like just a loss of athleticism over time. Um, but I think mainly it's just the players who come into the league who are shot blockers just try to block everything, and then you kind of learn how to play better defense. So I think last year his defense was better at times than his rookie year, but he just w- wasn't making those same kind of plays. Right. I, I I would say that it'll probably be closer to like probably be right around where it was last year, like one eight, maybe around two. Um, the only thing is he might play more minutes this year because he played 30.3 because of the minutes restriction in the beginning of the year. Yeah. And I'd say if he's healthy this year, it's probably closer to 33, 34, um, which is a, yet another reason to go over on points. But I, I don't I don't think I could actually see it. His rate of blocks decreasing again this year, but maybe it ends up at the same spot because of minutes. Yeah, I agree completely. I think part of that and and I think staying home and playing smarter defense and kind of getting back to your strengths and not trying to sell out for, you know, the chase downs are nice and he's great at those and those, you know, the, the, the from behind blocks and stuff, but not selling out for pump fakes in, in the paint and stuff like that. Instead of relying on just, you know, distracting a shot from the ground with the sheer size he has. So I see that dropping as well. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's playing worse defense. I think it actually probably means the opposite. Um, one more solo and bead thing before we move on to rebounds. And that is games played. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you the over under max. I just want to know where you're gonna stand here. So I'm just gonna say I'm gonna ask you to just put a number out there of games you think Joel Embiid will play this year. I'm gonna say seventy. Well, then congratulations, you have taken the over. What's the uh, right. the over under? Uh, at sixty-seven and a half. He played sixty-three last year. That seems about. Right. I mean, that's like fair enough. Yeah, I am going to. Uh, Take the under 
just because I think he'll literally play 67 games. He'll be that one half under. Um, I could see just a, a man of that size, right? Uh, a, a lightly rolled angle here, a flu there. Um, maybe his face explodes again. Uh, you know, maybe he strains a finger and all of a sudden those things add up and he's played 67 games. So I'm going to take the under, but I think it'd be right there. He played 63 last year. He probably would have played 70 plus if he didn't break his face. Um, and, but I think I'm still going to take the under. I think it's going to be right around 65, 66, 67. I don't want to take the under, but I don't think him playing 67 games next year is like the end of the world. So I'm going to take the under on that. Yeah, and I guess it's again one of those things where there's all with the chance of injury, especially with him, there's just more scenarios in which it's under than uh scenario. Like I think him playing seventy five plus is really unlikely. Um yeah. I took I took the over just because if you assume he doesn't have any injuries this year or or his injuries are relatively minor, like he misses a couple games here and there with, you know, back soreness or something, um, that puts you around seventy, seventy two, seventy three. Uh and he I guess I, you know, it's it's a total guess whether he's going to stay healthy or not. But I feel more confident this year than I've ever felt about him staying healthy. Yeah, maybe what's informing that. Uh, next, we're going to go stick with Embiid. Just we're switching over to rebounds now, and I'm, I'll, I'll let you know what I'm doing first here. Uh, yeah, ten and a half is the line. He rebounded at eleven per game last year, and I think he'll be over. I think he's probably going to be in the twelve to thirteen range. Um. And part of that, I think, just plays into what I said about the blocks. Uh, and there's a little bit of hopefulness, too, that, you know, he doesn't sell out for blocks as much, stays home, has better positioning with better with better conditioning, comes better positioning, um, is a little bit smarter. And then instead of jumping for a block and then having the rebound go to Ben or somebody else, he'll be at home waiting there for the rebound and be able to snatch them down just from being in good position and, you know, just being a, a, a very skilled rebounder. So... I'm going to the lines at 10 and a half. He had 11 last year. I'm going to say he might make the jump up to like 12.3 even per game. I, yeah, I feel like I feel like 10 and a half is really conservative for them uh, to set it there because, yeah, like you said, he had 11 last year. He played just over 30 minutes a game, and I think he'll play more than that this year. Like, I think his his minutes will be at least three or four more per game. And I think that alone, um, if he even continues close to the same rate, will put him above. Ten and a half. I, I agree that I think he's going to be closer to twelve. Um, like he's become a much better rebounder. Uh, by the end of last year, I thought he he was pretty dominant in that regard. Uh, he's has better conditioning and is healthier going into this year, and all those things. And I just think he's going to play enough minutes that it's hard for me to imagine um, really him taking a step back in any statistical category. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, like I said, I think this is the dominant year that it's been building to. Um, I do I do think there's a chance in the future that he's an MVP or a very close MVP candidate. It's probably not this year. Uh, it's probably after it LeBron. Though. It's probably after LeBron is no longer playing basketball. Um, but I mean, it could be this year. Um, kick skip with rebounds. Dario Saric, uh, the line is set at six and a half, and he pulled in 6.7 last year. So this is a very, this could rely solely on minutes this one it's so close to where it was last year i'll take the under for that reason i don't think he's going to be a better rebounder this year than he was last year certainly but i also just think his minutes might be slightly reduced i think of Embiid. if you're imagining Embiid's going to gobble up more rebounds and be on the floor more 
um, then probably that affects Dario. You know, the more minutes, obviously he played, and and some and last year he, uh, Dario played almost twenty games without Embiid, um, right? Which I, I probably pad that a little bit. So if you assume Embiid's going to play more games than he played last year, that Charge might take a step back, and that Embiid's going to be a better rebounder. I think that alone, um, yeah, will affect that number. So I'll take the under. But I will say this: um, I'm going to take the under as well. But I will make this one point. And I think we should stop agreeing. I'm just going to start making some bold proclamations coming up. But um, there was one game where Dario played about 30 seconds and then got elbowed in the face and never came back. So that is one game with zero rebounds. (laughs) Unless, wait, did he have one rebound in that game? Either way, that kind of skews numbers a little bit. I just want to put that out there. So maybe if he doesn't get his teeth elbowed out of his face again or whatever it was... um, he will be able to bump that number up just by not leaving the floor. Who knows, man? Who knows? You know, that was a little fluke. It's one of the, it's literally, I think that is like the only game. I don't think I saw any of that game. I don't know where I was. It's like the only game I didn't see a single second of last year. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's the game where my baby boy Dario gets his face shoved in with an elbow. Um, next is uh, the last rebound number, which is Ben Simmons. He had 8.1 last year, and the line is set at 8 on the dot. I'm going to go over on that and feel I feel really confident about that because uh, kind of what you were saying before with Fultz handling more of the, the ball handling duties, um, I think that's going to put Simmons closer to the rim more often. I think there's going to be more, like you said, he's going to score more off of cutting baseline, uh, more posting up, uh, facing up inside like I, I just think he's going to find himself um grabbing more offensive rebounds than he did last year like he averaged 1.8 um last season and I think that could be higher and I also just think defensively he might be uh you might have him defending the point guard a little bit less with faults out there um so he'll just be close to the rim in that regard too so I, I put it a little bit higher I, I probably guess like high eights maybe nine yeah I'm I'm in the exact same boat, and I think I don't know the numbers to back this up. I'm sure someone tracks them somewhere on NBA.com and like do digging around. But I think probably it seems like um, anecdotally, like it could be true that maybe the top two players in the NBA at getting a rebound off of their own miss were probably Ben Simmons and Amir Johnson. <laughs> it seemed like they constantly yeah. were missing little little bunnies at the rim and then grabbing the ball right back and putting it back in. So I think he probably gives himself, you know four or five offensive rebounds every 10 or 20 games or so. So I think that's, yeah, I, I'm exactly right. I think it could be as high as nine, nine plus even. Um, and I'm with you there. Uh, sticking with Ben Simmons, moving to the next statistical category, the last uh, statistical category with multiple players who have uh, over-unders. Uh, this is all very exciting, I know. Uh, ben Simmons assists. Uh, he had 8.2 last year. Um, that was kind of pushed up. I, during that win streak, I think on that entire win streak, he averaged a triple-double. Um, so that was, you know, not saying it wasn't accurate because it obviously is literally how many assists he averaged per game. But on that last stretch, it might have been bumped up a little bit. Uh, he had 8.2 last year, and it is set at 8 this year. I am going to take the over, but I think it's going to be like almost exactly 8.2 again. I can't see it dropping below 8. Um. I think cutting off ball, the the general idea is that it gives him 
less ball handling opportunities, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. He'll still be handling the ball a bunch. A bunch of those rebounds and points, honestly, come in transition. Um, and just because he's cutting off ball and gets a pass doesn't mean he's not going to pass it again. So I'm going to say over, and I'm going to say it's probably right, almost at 8.2, 8.3, almost exactly what it was last year. I'm going to go under uh, really slightly, though. I think it's going to be like high 7 or exactly 8. Um, somewhere right around there. I, f- I feel more confident about that um, because of Fultz, because he's going to be off the ball a little bit more, you would assume. Um, and also, I think Embiid, uh, like we talked about, I think Embiid's just going to um, be a bigger part of the offense, hopefully taking fewer spot-up threes and just you feeding him in the post more. And I guess it's a question of like the way he scores, is that going to be uh, credited with an assist if Simmons feeds him from 10 feet out. He faces up and drives and scores. Like, are they going to give him an assist on that? I think you're going to see more of that and less um, Simmons driving and dishing, less Simmons uh, like pick and popping with Dario. Um, So I just anticipate Embiid being so much like being more ISO for Embiid and, and post up with Embiid being part of the offense. Also, the addition of false. So I'll go a little under on that. I do think his turnovers are going to be lower. So I think he'll be more efficient um, than he was last season, even though he's pretty efficient with turnovers uh, too. I'm sorry, Max. Did I ask you about turnovers? Sorry. No, I didn't because there's no over under on turnovers. Um, but yeah. Okay. So that's good. Uh, the last assist one is Markel Fultz. Would like, again, it's like the dude played 14 games last year. So he's like basing it off of his numbers from last year is kind of, Nuts, especially because a lot of those games he didn't play a ton of minutes. Um, but in those 14 games last year, he had 3.8, 3.8 assists, and they put his number at four and a half. Ooh. So for me, this was an easy over. Yeah, I'm banging the over on that. That That's, yeah, I think over yeah. five, easy. He's the team yeah. starting point guard. Um, assuming that, assuming that by December, he's still the team's, either the team starting point guard or playing at least like 20 minutes of point guard a night. I just have a hard time matching. It's going to be under four and a half under five, even like, I, I just think it's going to be five plus. Um, he's just going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. And he's a really good passer. It's one of his better skills right now. Yeah. Um, before we get to two more full specific ones, um, JJ Reddick's three point percentage is the, uh, one of the other final, um, Player, sole player specific ones. Uh, he shot 42% from three last year. Um, and they set the over under at 41.5. Mm. Um, I'm, I, it pains me to do it because I, th- I like really want, I just think I'm going to be wrong. And it's crazy for me to say something and like, like, yes, this is what I choose, but I think I'm wrong. But I'm going to take the under. I think there's a slight, slight, slight regression this year. Um, even though I took the over on his points per game, uh, I think I'm going to take the under. I think it's going to be like somewhere around like 41.2 or 41.4. Uh, I think I won't quite make it to where he was last year. Uh, half percentage point is really with the number of threes he's taking is just barely a, a blip, honestly. Um, and I think it pains me to do it, but I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take the over. We're finally disagreeing about something. I'm going to take the over, and I feel pretty confident about that because I just think um, kind of my whole point throughout this has been I just think that everyone's going to take a bit of a step back um, 
in terms of the role because of Embiid and because of Fultz. Um, and I think, uh, I would imagine they're just going to rely on Redick a lot less than they did last season to score. Um, so I'm kind of anticipating his role looking a little bit more like it did with the Clippers, um, where he was shooting his last, his second to last year with the Clippers, he shot 47 and a half percent. He shot 43% his final season with the Clippers, almost 44% the year, um, three years ago. I just think his role is going to be more similar to that. Um, and given that, I think, I think you're going to see fewer threes. Like he, he took 6.6 last year. I would say it's going to be closer to like five and a half. Um, but I think his efficiency will, will go up because of that. All right. We've disagreed on like three so far. This one, I think is interesting. Uh, it's, there's been, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, there's an over-under on total numbers of three-pointers that Markel Fultz will make on the year. That number is set at 44.5. Now, to put that in some kind of context, I did a little bit of research. So you figure that is based on Markel Fultz playing a quote-unquote full season, right? Because if he plays 20 games and then gets hurt for the rest of the year, that bet is kind of null and void, right? Because that's you're basing it on the idea of a full season. So... We chose 55 games just to say, you know, bulk of a season. So I looked up every guard slash guard forward, although these are mostly looking at them, about 80% guards, um, who played 55 or more games last season and made 44 or fewer threes. So if you chose the under, if you were to choose the under with this, these are the players you are putting in that category with Markel Fultz, essentially, when it comes to three-point shooting. Um, the only player, the only guard slash guard forward to play all 82 games last year and make fewer than 44 threes was two-time former Sixer Ish Smith. Uh, two players played 81 games, uh, DeJounte, DeJounte Murray and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is one of two guards on this list to make zero threes in 55 or more games last year. Uh, I pitched this question to Max before we started recording, and I said I would ask it again to give him a little bit of time to think. Max, have you decided which guard slash guard slash forward uh, played 55-plus games last year and did not make a single three-pointer? Oh, man, that's really hard. I, I For the record, they played 71 games. They attempted five. Feel like I should know. I feel like I should know who who this is if they played that many games. Um, Someone is like listening to this right now in their car or at work, screaming the correct yelling. answer at their phone. Can you give me like? Can you give me a hint? So uh, some kind of identifying feature, age, uh, years in the league. Uh, well, he's he's conference. he's older than both of us. Which is to say he's older than me because I'm yeah. older than you. So he's in his 30s. Is it Tony Allen? No, it is Sean Livingston. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. I guess so, that makes sense. I've never yeah. even seen him attempt a three right. in all the times I've watched the Warriors. Also on this list. So let's let's go from most threes made to least. There's a, By the way, this just says 23 players on it. I'm not going to read the whole list off. But again... 55 or more games played, 44 or fewer threes made. Um, 
The most threes on this list made are Tyler Eulis and Evan Turner with 42. Then you got names under that like Terrence Ferguson, Joe Johnson, Ish Smith, like I said, Andre Godala, Dwayne Wade, Alfred Payton. Uh, 11th on the list of 27 made threes is TJ McConnell. Jarrett Jack is there. Uh, Patrick McCall is there. Tim Frazier is there. Brandon Paul is there. So, you know. Is MCW on that list? MCW is not on this list. Maybe he didn't play enough games. Or maybe, he, maybe he made more than, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of, if you take the under, uh, not saying they're the same types of players, not saying any of that, but that is the company. And mind you, Ben Simmons is also on that list, but he's not a shooter. Uh, so if you take the under, that is the company that you are placing Markel Fultz in. For that reason and that reason alone, I have to take the over. Because for better or worse, you do hear the Dwayne Wade comparison with Markel Fultz. You heard it a little bit from college, something like that. But a little bit of the caveat was always Dwayne Wade that shoots threes or Dwayne Wade that can make threes. Uh, Dwayne Wade in his career, I think, made more than 45 or more threes only four times. Um, granted, he wasn't, you know, in his the prime of his prime. Teams weren't shooting threes the way they're shooting they're shooting them today. So maybe it would have been different if he was playing in his prime now. But I think you have to take the over. And like, yeah, it's only his first full season. And if he makes less than 44 and a half this year, doesn't mean he'll never make that much. But I think it has to be the over. I mean, and also in four preseason games, right? Four or five, he made one. That puts him on average about 20 to some on the year, but I just can't see. He's got to be taking more. He's got to be making more. And I just, I, I cannot in good conscience take the under. I'm taking the under. You son of a bitch. I'm taking the under because, yeah, I'm taking the under because I, I don't think he's going to take that many threes this year. Like, I, I think he's going to take like maybe one and a half threes a game. Um, and you're, for him to hit, 45 plus he would need to and this is assuming he plays every game he would need to take one and a half and make over a third or uh but i just i had the math in my head and then i fucked it up if he took one a game he'd need or if he took one and a half he'd need to make what a third yeah like about a third uh is my math right or am i being an idiot right now you're asking very much the wrong person I think I'm right about that. Yeah, I'm about, about right about that. Um, I think he's going to shoot. He's going to take about one to one and a half a game and make like. You're under. You're under. If you shoot one and a half a game and you make a third of them, you're under. Okay. You're at 41. Okay, exactly. Yeah, so I'm thinking. Um, oh, that was easier math than. That was, now that you say that, yeah, that's way that makes easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> God, this is, this is bad pod. Um, yeah, this is incredibly bad pod. I'm going to take the under because I feel like he's probably going to hit around 30. My best case scenario is he hits close to like 35%. And I just don't think even if he does that, he's going to take enough threes uh, to get there. And I feel like you mentioned Dwayne Wade. And I think you look at Dwayne Wade's career um, and you're right. It was a different era. You're right that they're different players and that Fultz uh, has shown an ability to shoot threes that Wade, even in his best seasons and even late in his career, never showed. Uh, but I just think right now he is somewhat limited in that regard. And I think his, his jumpers from mid range look so much better than the threes he's attempted. Uh, and he has the ability to get to the rim. He has the ability to drive and, and dish. Um, 
to get to the foul line where he's actually been decent. His form looks okay and he's making them. Um, I just, if I were coaching Markel Fultz, I would not want him to take the number of threes that he would need to take to get, get the over. I just think it's not useful. It's not the best use of him. Um, and that's not to say I think he's going to be a non-shooter like he was last year. I just think right now he's a player who is better served taking a couple of dribbles in and pulling from 17 feet um, than he is, you know, spotting up from three or pulling up from three or, you know, I, I, or or he's better off trying to get to the rim and get fouled or, or dishing it off. Like I just, I don't want him to, to hit the over is what I'm saying. Unless, unless something snaps and all of a sudden he's back to what he was at UW. But if he's anything like what we've seen so far, I would prefer him under, and I think he can be a really effective player and still be under that number. He'll just play more of a game like Wade played or, um, you know, more like a Tyreek Evans kind of game as a scorer. Yeah, that's fair. Um, sticking with Fultz real quick uh, before we have one more after this and then some over-unders that we have made up and I asked some friends to suggest some as well. Uh, Marco Fultz's free throw percentage, you just mentioned how it looked decent. Uh, he shot 47.6% last year. In the preseason, I think he's like three for four, so that's not really a sample size. Uh, and they put his line at 65.5. I am going to take the over on this as well. Um, I don't think it'll be over by very much. Um, but I think it'll probably be 67 to 69%. Nice. Um, I don't see him going higher. Like even in a best case scenario this year, I can't see him going higher than like 73, 74 at like an absolute maximum. Um. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Also, by the way, real quick, Markel or uh, Michael Carter Williams. That was that was I should have that was a bad mistake to start saying Markel when I meant to say Michael Carter Williams. Uh, he Got only it. played 52 games last year and he made 14 threes. Oof, woof. Uh, this just to be clear, this last one was for Markel Fultz's free throw percentage. Yes, and the line was set at 65.5. I'm going over. I feel really confident about the over on that. Um, By the way, in college, he shot 64.9% from the line. I think, though, I think his, his free throw form looks, yeah, his free throw form looks considerably better than it did in college right now. Um, like, in college, it was because he was doing that weird, like, overhand, like, the ball was way too high up. It was like this. His legs didn't move at all. He just kind of flung it, almost like uh, Ben Simmons style at the rim. Um, yeah. I think it looks way better now. I feel... Uh, a lot more confident. I mean, last year was 47 and a half. I think it's, that's, you can kind of throw that out the window. I just think from seeing him shoot free throws at practice from the videos that have come out from seeing it in games, it just looks a lot better. I think he'll be closer to 70%, like low seventies. Yeah. Um, just before we move on to the final Bovada one, uh, just to go back to the three point thing, Markel Fultz attempted five threes a game in 25 games in college. So, okay. I mean, that's obviously going to come down. It was one, two, and five games, et cetera, et cetera. But just to put any some kind of extra context on that. Um, so we're both taking the over on that. Let me type that down, keeping track of this. We're both going to be like one for 15 on these. Um, final Bovada one. Um, let me ask you this, Max. When we did this last year, do you remember preseason? We kind of laughed at it and we're like, this is insane. What they put the over under for number of Ben Simmons triple doubles at? Was it like five? That was 0. 0.5. So the question was, will he have a triple-double? Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, it's a little bit different this year. The uh, line is at 12 and a half. Last year he had 12 and he had one in the playoffs. So essentially, will he have more than last year is the question. And I have to take the over on this. That's like the easiest over in the world to me. Um, he had 12 last year. What we talked about to this point is we just assume he's going to be in a position to get more rebounds. He's going to, uh, even if his assist number drops a little bit, he's still going to have multiple games where he has uh, the assists. He, he has double-digit assists. Um, and he's still going to be handling the ball a lot. Like even with Markel Fultz playing more, um, I think it probably hurts. He's not going to have the ball in his hands as much, but there are going to be plenty of games where he, you know, is is handling the bulk of the point guard duties. He's an awesome passer. Uh, I think there's more offensive firepower on the team this year. Like you're just going to have more games where he goes off for 15 assists maybe than you had last year, even though I think the number on the whole, you'll also have more games where he has five than you had last yeah. year. You know, I think last year it was pretty, you would assume seven plus almost every night or six, six plus every night just because he was in that role. But I think there's more potential this year um, because Embiid's improved a lot because you would assume improvement from Covington and Sharich and, um, and whatnot. And because of faults that I, I just think, uh, I feel pretty confident with the over on that. I think I think also that's going to be his role. It's just kind of the like do it all, almost like a Draymond kind of thing. Like I just think he's going to embrace a role where he's uh, not as much of an, a primary option as he was last season, but just does everything and fills the stat sheet. Absolutely. Now I have four other ones that I, I uh, either made up or had suggested to me. Um, actually, I made, I made up one of them. Three were suggested to me. I'll just be honest. Um, the first one, we've mentioned a couple of times today, that 18-game win streak to end the season and how we didn't think that's really replicable and you can't really bank on that. So I set this number, um, the over-under for the longest win streak of the season. I set it at nine and a half games. Hmm. I'll go over on that. I'm going to take the under. I want to pull up the schedule and see if there are any. I know they have one really, really tough stretch in, I forget if it's January or February or December. Um, but the fact that they have mm-hmm. such a ridiculous, ridiculously difficult stretch that everyone's talked about makes me think there's probably in there a handful of cupcake games in a row. Um, I know they begin the year with a pretty light schedule, and I think the right. very end of the, the season is fairly light as well. I'm just pulling it up now. Um, yeah, like I think at the end of the year, so they play, um, they have a stretch in March where they play uh, Cleveland, Sacramento, Milwaukee, Charlotte, Boston, Atlanta, Orlando, Brooklyn, Minnesota, Dallas, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Chicago, Miami, Chicago. Like I could see at the end of the year them going on. That Boston game in the middle is kind of tough, but if they can win that game, um, I think they have basically like 13 games in a row that are they should be favored. Uh, about 10 of them, they it shouldn't you know they're going at teams that'll be tanking at that point. You would imagine. Um, I I could I definitely think they'll have a, a stretch of 10 plus. Mm-hmm. It might not be then. It might be a, at a different point in the season. But I feel pretty confident about that. I think they're a good enough team, and um, they're a team that uh if Embiid gets really hot for a stretch or, you know, Fultz really turns it on or 
you know, kind of like last year, everyone just gets hot at the same time. I, I just think they're a team that has that potent, that like high boomer bust potential. Um, they, and I could also see them going through a stretch of losing, you know, six of seven or something. I, I don't think they're immune from that in the way that other contending teams or, or really good playoff teams are. So I think there's, there's more potential for swings with the Sixers. Yeah, I, I'm taking the under because I think the way I see this season is because it's not as segmented as like really tough here and then really easy there or like all your games are packed in the front because you were giving you five games off on either side of the game in London. I see like multiple seven, eight, nine game winning streaks, but I don't, I, I'm putting them, I'm just going to go with the fact that I don't think they're going to hit double digits on a, on a consistent one, but I can have, you know, I guess turn together like six, eight game streaks probably in there with like a, a drop in a game here and there. I don't, I don't see that being something that's not going to happen at all. Um, the next one I have is over under of Sixers. Sixers on the all-star roster, and mm. I set it at 1.5. So basically one or more. I'll go over. I think Simmons and Embiid will both make it. I don't. I think there's almost no chance anyone else makes it. Um, I don't think Covington's going to be a consideration. Redick would have to be out of his mind. He'd have to be shooting like... It'd have to be like a Corver situation with the Hawks. Um, Corver made it, right? He was one of the four, the four yeah, uh, so. Hawks I made it that year. Like it would have to be a situation where he's just out of his mind, and the team's unbelievable, and they have to give. Uh, I guess if the if the Sixers go into the go into the All Star break and they're first or second in the East, I guess say first. If they're if they are in first place in the East, you might see people vote for a Robert Covington or, or a JJ Redick, or if somehow Fultz just like turns it on and is that guy. Definitely. Um, I'm just not at all banking on that. I think it's They're going to be at that point at best second in the East, probably third in the East. And um, I think, you know, you're going to get Embiid and Simmons and I just don't think there's really anyone else in that conversation right now. Yeah. I think Simmons is going to get it. I haven't taken the over because I think Simmons is going to get it just because, you could have probably made the argument last year that he's he was fringe, he was there, and his second half of the year was much better than his first. You know, not even, you know, you can look at statistically and it might be pretty even, but just narrative, the team was rolling so strong. He was playing a lot of games without Joel Embiid. He really came into his own. Um, and I think that's going to be in people's minds as well as he starts this season. So I think it's more likely than not that that both Simmons and Embiid, if healthy, are are both all-stars. Um, not I to mention, more. Uh, I was going to say, not to mention if we're including being added to the team because of injury or dropout. Like, I think that I think Simmons, similar to last year, he got really snubbed. Like they how many guards went down? It was like two or three guys went down and they eventually what was a Goran Dragic was the last guy they picked. Um, yeah. I feel like Simmons, if he doesn't make it off of votes or off of media or whatever players, um, I think will. uh will probably be the first guy, the first reserve that's thought of. Yeah, I agree. I feel pretty confident he'll get in that way if, if he doesn't get in on his own merits. Yeah, I have two more. Uh, the next one is, how many technical fouls will be assessed to Joel Embiid this year? He had six last season. I'm putting the line at eight and a half. And I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over too. Yeah, I, I, th- I, think, I think so. He played... He, He's going to probably play more games this season. Um, I think teams are really going to bully the shit out of him, um, and he's he's going to get like so he's going to get some boogie texts, like some oh for sure uh, he gets hacked and they don't call it, and he yells in a ref's face 
Also, I think there there's an emphasis on that this year. It's one of the points of emphasis from the, you know, the every year the refs put out, uh, you know, like three things they're trying to pay attention to this year and res- quote yeah. unquote respect for the game is one of them. And they specifically are talking about like when Russell Westbrook gets fouled, they don't call it. And he like throws his arms, you know, like up in the air and yells at the ref and whatever that they're, they're really trying to clamp down on that, I guess. So I, I think you're going to see more of that with Embiid. Yeah, and, and even with like, you know, certain points of emphasis, they kind of always, in, in like, and they do in football as well, any new rule or new point of emphasis, they really, really, really stress it in preseason so that people are used to it getting called. And then they kind of will rope it back in in the regular season a little bit. But Ben Simmons got a technical uh, in preseason for dunking and really, I mean, quote unquote flexing, but it's kind of the thing where he kind of just like holds his arms out. He's not like really flexing. I mean, he's flexing, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like cartoon flexing. And you got to see that for that. So if that's going to get Ben Simmons teed up, then 85% of what Joel Embiid does is going to get him teed up. Like how long until someone on the other team gets teed up and Joel Embiid kind of points at him and then points at the door? How, how long until that gets Embiid a technical, you know? Yeah, exactly. So. Um, well, speaking of points of emphasis before we move on, uh, I thought like something that not a lot of people were talking about um, was that a big point of emphasis this year is on like freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, did you watch the video that they put out? I didn't know. I, I know what you're talking about though. Yeah. So, yeah. So they were talking about like, um, a lot of what happened, honestly, I'm, I'm almost wondering if some of this is a reaction to the Boston Philly series where, uh, there's a lot of like Marcus smart holding on to Reddick's Jersey as he came around a screen to try to pop out. Um, a lot of, I think this happened to him beat a lot last season, but, um, kind of like wrapping one arm around him in the post to try and like pushing him out when the, when he goes up to, to grab a, um, like a lofted pass inside. There's just, it seems like they're making a real emphasis. Um, I think this will mostly affect the Sixers in terms of Embiid, but on letting guys establish better position and not allowing as much contact before the ball gets there. Uh, which I think if they really do that and they call it, you know, fairly for Embiid, which oftentimes doesn't happen with guys as big as him. Uh, I think that could be like hugely beneficial. And you could see a lot of um, him getting people into foul trouble. And you kind of saw that against Mo Bamba when they played Orlando. Like, what did he get him on like three or four fouls in like 10 minutes? Um, And also, I think in the preseason, maybe that's a little bit of why Embiid was able to establish such good position is that they are calling that a little bit more and, and you can't do as much to get him out of his spot or knock him off the block. So I, I think that could be a really like low key important thing for the Sixers this year. If they really do call that differently. Yeah. And I think uh, just kind of harping on jumping on the back of changes and points of emphasis stuff. I cannot tell you how much I love the, the resetting the shot clock to 14 seconds. I've heard an offensive rebound. Yeah. It's one of those minor rules that I feel like we've been talking about that and the FIBA goaltending rule that just really kind of, first of all, just makes consistency across the board with international basketball as well. And it's just such a common sense idea and it keeps the flow of the game. People talking about game action and constantly things moving. And, you know, there was something I saw, I saw, I think Mark Whittington tweeted about it, something that like 90% of shots taken after an offensive rebound are taken in the first five seconds, right? So taking 10 seconds off of that 24 isn't really affecting the game at all, unless you're just trying to run out the clock at the end of the game and dribble it, dribble it out or whatever. Um, and in that case, I mean, I think, yeah, you have the lead and you got the rebound, you've earned the right to kind of dribble it out, but also you should have to play basketball still. You know, that, they can knock it down 14 seconds, I think is 
the absolute perfect thing and just all right, give him a couple of years to put in FIBA goaltending rules and we'll be damn near a perfect game. Well, and I got to got to shout out Mark Zumoff because the other rule is the uh, the kind of advantage yeah, on uh, shot clock violations. I, I still can't believe that's not a thing. Yeah, like, neither can I. It's so frustrating watching that. Uh, and what we're talking about, which Mark Zumoff uh, brings up at least every third game, um, is when there's a shot clock violation on a jumper. It's an air ball. Uh, a player, a defensive player, rebounds the ball and then wants to just go and create a fast break. And they whistle it dead and make them inbound the ball out of bounds because technically, since it didn't hit the rim, it's a shot clock violation, uh, which I just think it just takes away from the defensive team that forced a, an air ball or forced a turnover or a loose ball. Yeah. Uh, I think in, in that case, the way to improve that, the shot clock violation should be called one of two times then. If the ball does not hit the rim and the team that shot the ball is possessing it or is fighting for the possession of it because it's like, all right, well, you can't get it. So that's a shot clock violation. Or if the other team recovers it and essentially says to the ref, like, we want a stoppage, right? They, they should have the right to do that to say, like, either mm-hmm. we want to go or we want to take a stoppage to, like, if you want to do a quick sub or whatever, like, or just, like, take a quick breath instead of running the floor. You should be able to do that. You should basically say, like, look at the ref and be, like, basically, like, stoppage or just take it and go. I completely agree with that. And I think there's... I, I agree. Yeah. Little, you know, I think... It, it... You want to go? Yeah, no. uh, I think yeah. There's a little bit of kinks that need to work be worked out there because you have to figure out a way to like signal to the ref that you want a stoppage, or just take it and go. But I mean, I it does it ruins the flow because it'd be a couple of times where it'll be airballed right into someone's hands. They just start going, and the buzzer doesn't even go off until the ball's already in the other team's hands. So that's not even a shot clock violation. That's just a turnover, you know. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I also think that, and this might be unpopular but my opinion across sports is i just think um i'm more willing to put uh some some subjectivity into the into the hands of the refs and allow them more like in soccer to call advantage or to kind of just assess what's going on like the big one is like football so you know the the whole thing about what a catch like what is a catch what's a football move like i'm fine with it not being this like if they take more than two steps and turn upfield and that like, I don't need it to be that. Cause I think that causes all sorts of other problems where like technically that thing that needs to happen didn't happen, but everyone watching knows this was a catch. It's like, I'm much more willing to just say, okay, we all kind of understand what this thing we're talking about looks like, what it looks like when uh, there's a shot clock violation, but the other team has would be uh, done a, a, a disservice by making them now inbounded out right. of bounds. Um, I think we all kind of can see that when it happens. Refs are, you know, for all the shit people talk about NBA refs, um, I think for the most part, get things right. I, I would trust them to be able to call that correctly and to like allow that when it when it makes sense. And I'd rather just for more rules than not allow that kind of stuff. Like I hate when they do video reviews at the end of games and there's the like, you know, who the ball went out of bounds on, but when you go to the the review, you can see that the person was fouled and that's why it went out. Like their arm was hacked and the ball flew out of bounds. And it's like, because of that, you have to say that it went out on the guy whose arm was hacked because he didn't call the foul. It's like, I'm much more willing to just put things in the hands of the refs. And like, if they watch that to make the determination of like who deserves the right, ball exactly. Here, you know, I, I just, and I think people are resistant to that, but I, I usually think that results in better outcomes when there's more flexibility 
I mean, that's essentially what you're doing on because, like, you like, you know, you can whistle every basketball play dead for something. And you're making that call to let certain things go and not let other things go because of how much it impacts the game. And making football a comparison again, like you have the option to decline a penalty in football. You can't turn down a shot clock violation in basketball, right? And you had the option when there's an offsides to have a free play, right? You have a free run at this and it won't harm you. And that's kind of how, not necessarily the same thing, but like you should be have the chance to take that ball and run with it or have the choice to say like, now nah, we don't want to run this replay. We'll just spike it into the ground and we'll just take it out of bounds, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I have one more over under. Okay. I have one final one. And before I do this, I want to ask you a question. I'll ask you two questions. I think you know the answer to one because I think you looked it up before the pod. Um, do you know how many games Jared Bayless played in last year? Too many. I think it was like 39. It was exactly 39. How many games did he start? I think it was seven. Is that right? He started 11 games. 11. Okay. I'm placing the number of games where Jared Bayless appears this year over under at 13.5. Oh, wow. That is really high. No. Let me tell you, for context, last year, uh, in the entirety of the Sixers season, if you don't count players who were, weren't on the roster for the full season, so that discounts Gila Lokafor, Jacob Pullen, Larry Drew, Demetrius Jackson, James Michael McAdoo, Nick Stauskas, and James Young. Those guys, weren't, they weren't on the roster for the full season. They weren't even, most of them weren't even actually full-fledged members of the roster, right? If you take those guys out, mm-hmm. the least number of games appeared in is a tie between Furkan Korkmaz and Markel Fultz with 14. And those guys both had injuries or extenuating circumstances. Uh, so if Jared Bayless hits the under or even just barely hits the over, he will still play fewer games than they did. And they were hurt. Now, basically the way to take the under here is to say he won't be on the team for most of the season, which I think is a fair assessment. So are you going to take the over? Are you going to take the under? I am taking the under partially because he's like out right now with a knee injury that like who even knows what the hell is going on with that. Uh, he's like reevaluated in three to four weeks, like as of a week ago. And I feel like that could just linger forever where they might just cut him. Um, I think this year is a little different too, because so last year he played in just off the top of my head, like the first 35 appearances he had were in the first 41 games of the year. So the first half of the year, he played 35 games. And I just and and then in the end of the year, he missed like 30 straight games heading into the playoffs and then played a minute and a half in a Boston game for some stupid reason <laughs> um, at the end when they were just down big. Uh, they were down 16 or something. Um, I just don't anticipate. I would honestly say that Shake Milton will play more games and more minutes than Bayless. I don't I would say if you set the over under at. 0.5, I think I might take the under on that. Really? I just don't think he's going to ever play a game as a sixer again. I think there's no there's no reason for him to ever be active. Like, you have Landry Shamit, who you'd want to play over him. If Zaire Smith comes back by December or January, he will be active over Bayless in every game. Um, and, this, and this is also, you're assuming Bayless is not going to be ready for the start of the year. So even when he comes back, is going to be closer to Christmas or November or whatever. Um, so you're assuming you'll have Sayer back for most of that time, uh, most of the rest of the season, if Bayless is on the, the roster the whole year. Uh, I think Shake Milton is more interesting to me to get minutes. I think Korkmaz, you'd play over Bayless. I just don't really know why you would play him at this point. But I mean, I'm looking at it this way. Right? I also think I think he'll I think he'll be trade. I, I think 
also he'll be traded at the deadline. I think he will too. If he by then. However, I think the point you made of Korkmaz is interesting because Korkmaz was essentially the last man on the bench last year and he had an injury and he still played in 14 games. I think it's entirely possible that Jared Bayless never plays a game for the Scriptures again, but I don't think there's a 0% chance that he hits this over. Probably only about a 5% chance, but I'm taking the under, but I just want to say that I don't think it's impossible that he plays 14 games. Oof. Yeah. I, I just I think it's really unlikely. I just think there's there's less incentive than there was last year. Last year he was in the second year of a three year deal. He had been hurt the entire, you know, first year of his deal, and you kind of were you wanted to see what you had. He actually, if you go back, he scored in his first three games of the season, he scored thirteen points in the opener, eighteen points in game two, uh, and sixteen points in the third night of the year, playing twenty eight minutes, thirty minutes, and twenty six minutes. Uh, which is kind of crazy to look back at. He actually played over. <laughs> Holy shit. This is like really, really, <laughs> I, I totally blocked this from my memory. The first nine games of the year, he averaged 31 minutes a game and started seven of them. Yeah. And he shot 42% from three and scored 11 points a game. Like he was actually somewhat useful, even though I didn't feel that way at all yeah. for the first nine games of the season. I just, I just think with the knee injury, with everything else, with how bad he was at the end of last year, um, and also the fact that I, I could see him getting traded like soon. You know, I could see him getting traded. Definitely the deadline, I think he'll be traded. But I think they're just looking at it like the only thing would be if they want to try to boost his value, just show that he's not hurt. Um, but I don't think it's going to be 14 or 13 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a couple over-unders for you and uh, some rank, some ranking. Uh, a few questions is where I want you to rank multiple players in order of some category. Let's do it. Um, so I'll start with the over-unders. Uh, I'm going to go, this is two interesting ones. So one and a half, over-under one and a half players currently in the rotation who will be traded at or before the deadline. So what I'm saying is not including Landry Shamit, not including Corkmaz, Bolden, or Bayless. Uh, so you, this is like Wilson Chandler, Reddick, Covington, obviously the big guys, um, and maybe including like Zaire Smith. Like anyone of importance over one and a half traded this season. I am going to take the over. Cuz I think there's a ch- I think there's a chance that I mean does Bayless count in this? <laughs> uh no no, okay. I'm not I'm not including Shamit, Korkmaz, Bolden or Bayless. Okay. So I'm including basically guys in the rotation plus Zaire Smith. Can I can I say yes and can I give you two names? Yeah. TJ McConnell and Amir Johnson. Mm, that's interesting. I think TJ is a really good one. I think TJ is probably the likeliest sixer to be traded. Uh, who's who actually plays? Yeah, and I think Amir is solely um, because, because I could see sick. some some yeah. somebody going down and needing a big man, and he's on you know an expiring, and just throw him off for a, some protected pick or some flyer on somebody. Even though I think Amir is is, could, is valuable, but you know if you have if you like what you're getting out of Mascala, or even you know Mascala is a possibility. He's on an expiring as well. Um, someone someone needs something like that, and if you you know if if someone like Bolden looks great, or you know something else happens, and then you can, you can part with one of those two guys, and someone needs one, then I don't see, you know, there's nothing really keeping them here on expiring unless they're really. I mean, I love Amir. I think he's been doing really well, but if there's an opportunity that comes up, I could see him going. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm going to take the over also just because I think there's um, a non a significant chance. I don't think it's better than not happening, but I think there's a significant chance that the deadline comes up and there's a deal for them to be made. Uh, not necessarily for some superstar, but where they package, you know, TJ and Dario and get someone better, you know, a, a better wing or um, maybe they trade Wilson Chandler and, you know, whoever else. I think there, there is a chance that they consolidate some assets or there's a chance that they make a, a big deal, like try to get Jimmy Butler. They try to get um, someone who's unhappy somewhere else. Uh, I could definitely see that. I think probably the most likely trade is something like Bayless or, you know, a kind of nothing trade um, with some end of the bench guys or the rights of players or a, a pick and Korkmaz and Bayless for someone more valuable on that money or whatever. Um, but I'll put it, I'll, I'll go over. Cause one, I think if you see a trade, it's going to involve more than two useful players, a, a trade of any kind of consequence you're going to see. And I think TJ is pretty likely yeah. to be one of those guys. If, if that happens, just cause I think they don't really have much use for him at this point. He's coming up on free agency. So yeah. Um, 0.5 regular season games of bearded rep Brown over under. Under he's gonna shave before the season starts if he hasn't shaved already. Disappointing, I know. I know that's it's been it's been the pattern. I can't remember last season if he went the entire preseason. I know in training camp and like the summer, was it even training camp? I know in the summer he had the beard, and I can't remember if he shaved it right before uh, the preseason started or before training camp opened or during was, training camp, was, or if it was right on the eve. I think it was like either. Right before training camp started or during training camp? Okay. So this is the longest he's gone. Because the year before, it was it was definitely earlier the first year. I think it was like just for part of the summer he had it. And then I don't think he ever had it even for like the media luncheon yeah. before. I'll say this. Um, uh, as of as so, of four hours ago, uh, Sixers ac- account tweeted, quote, I think our future is amazing. We had a chance to be good for a long time. And it's a video of Brett Brown talking and he still has the beard. So he has time. Hmm. Is it him talking at practice? Yeah, he has time to shave by Tuesday, but you know, he's got the beard right now. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. I'll probably go under. Um, I just feel more likely than not. He's going to shave right before the season. I hope he keeps it though. I think it, it makes him, it's also like a nice, um, it would have been cool if he did it last year for this reason, but it's a nice way of kind of, uh, it's sort of like, it demarcates the, the shift in his career with the Sixers. Yeah. Um, you know, the line of demarcation between the process years and like contention. Mm-hmm. And last year would have maybe been that, but you didn't know that going into the year as much. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you to rank. I'm going to give you a, a category um, or a superlative, and then I'm going to give you three players. And I want you to rank them in where they're going to finish. So uh, the first one is, Minutes played in the playoffs, and the three players are Zaire Smith, Landry Shamit, and Furkan Korkmaz. So who will play the most minutes from most to least uh, in the playoffs of those three guys? I mean, obviously, we're assuming that Smith has his injury and comes back when they say probably like January. And it's just uh, at that point, it's just then how well he's doing, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's I a, think a it Van is- healthy Zaire Smith. Landry Shamit and for Kukmaz, or is it up to me to decide if he's healthier? I, I think, yeah, I think it's up to you. And I think when when I put Zaire in there, I was thinking like there's a chance that 
either he doesn't come back when they say he's going to, or it's closer to February or something. And then at that point, he's just, they don't need him as much or they're not relying on him. And it just kind of compounds. Like I could, I could see, I'm not anticipating that come April or May of next year, he's still going to be hurt, but it might be a situation where it takes longer and then he just doesn't break the rotation for that reason. Yeah. Um, I'll go with that, honestly. So I will say, uh, Shamit Smith Corkmaz in that order. Okay. Yeah, I probably go the same. I, I think Shamit. I, I put Shamit first. Uh, yeah, I think there's a real chance that Shamit makes then, himself with the shooting very, very valuable to this team. I agree. I think I think he might, especially early on with with Chandler out. Um, yeah. I think I think Shamit potentially is in the rotation pretty early on. Uh, I could see him, especially come playoff time, being someone who plays kind of like TJ minutes from a couple of years ago. You know, where it's or last season. Um, where he's some games he doesn't play, but when he does play, it's like 15, 20 minutes. Uh, and I think there's, I, I put Zaire over Korkmaz only because I think there is a chance that Zaire comes back in December, January, looks good, breaks into the rotation because of his defense and everything else, and just is a part of that. I, I don't see much chance at Korkmaz, unless Shamit gets hurt. I think you'd probably go Shamit over Korkmaz. So, and yeah. Zaire, if he's healthy, over Korkmaz too. Absolutely. Okay, uh, three-pointers made in the regular season. I'm going to give you the, uh, what they did last year, too, after I give you the name. So, J.J. Redick, Dario Saric, Robert Covington. And last season, um, Covington led the team with 203 made threes. Redick had 193, uh, although he played 70 games versus Covington's 80. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he would have been ahead of him. Um, and then Dario made 157 in 78 games. So 203, 193, 157 for Dario. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say JJ's first. Roko's second. I'll say Shamit is actually third. And wow. I'll put, I'll put Dario at four. No, oh, that's interesting. Um... Yeah, I don't think I'd put Shamit up in that conversation. I just don't think he'll play enough minutes. Uh, so I'm going to agree with you on Redick. I think Redick will lead the team in threes. Um, even though I expect him to probably take fewer, like I said earlier, uh, I, I think his percentage will be will be around what it is now, if not a little bit higher. Um, I also think everyone's going to see a reduction. Um, I, I think Covington will as well, and maybe... Uh, I'll talk about charge, but um, I think that's just going to, I think everyone's going to be spread out a little bit more. Um, I'll go with charge too, actually. Um, and the reason I want to go with that is I just think he's going to be pushed outside a little bit more with Simmons playing more off ball, playing down low a little bit more with Embiid, them spacing out for Embiid. Um, I think Dario's a bigger part of his offensive game is going to be shooting from the perimeter this year yeah Um, absolutely so i could definitely see that number being higher as 157 last year and that was with him shooting 39 percent. like i could see uh that percentage being somewhere around there probably a little bit lower but um his attempts being higher and covington coming down because covington took almost seven threes a game last year and i if i'm the sixers I, i want that number to come down like i want that closer to five and a half closer to where reddick I hope is this coming season. Um, And, you know, even if Covington shoots 37, 38%, which is like best case, really what you'd imagine. 
Um, I just think his attempts will be down this year. I think uh, I just think he's going to be relied upon a lot less, and I think Dario um, could see the, that number go up, and I just think he'll probably be a more efficient shooter than Covington. So I'll go Redick, Dario, Covington, and then I think Shamit's going to be pretty far behind all that. Yeah, I mean, thinking about the Shamit thing now, I'm looking at from 14, 2014 season to last season, uh, rookies who made 100 or more threes. There were only 10 of them, and actually Dario was one of wow. them. So, yeah, it, that's, I mean, Mitchell had 187 last year. Kuzma had 159. Heald had 148. Markin had 145. So, like, those are, you know, I think probably looking back now, like Shaman is probably, a, I'll, I'll stick with I'll stick with the, the prediction because I am just feel like being bold, but that's probably a pretty high, pretty high number. Okay. Uh, another threes made question. Uh, number mm-hmm. of threes made. Markel Fultz. Mike Muscala, TJ McConnell. And for reference, um, last year, TJ made um, 27 threes. Uh, Fultz didn't make any, but uh, you would, I think we both went under on 45, right? I went over. You went over, but you went like slightly over? I, I forget what you're. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Fultz attempted one last year, uh, and Mike Muscala, I'm pulling this up right now, um, with the Hawks last season, made 62. Yeah, I think I, that's. I think I'm going to go Muscala, Fultz, TJ. Yeah, I think that's that's probably where I go. I might go Fultz, Muscala, TJ, um, just because I don't expect Muscala. So last season, Muscala um, played in 53 games and averaged 20 minutes a game and i don't know if he'll do that here like i right he might yeah. he might play a similar number of games but i think his his usage will be, i think he'll play fewer minutes and i even though i think primarily will be a catch and shoot guy from the perimeter i just don't think he took 167 threes last year i don't know if he's going to do that and he shot 37 percent um which was uh that's around where he's been for his career but i just think the attempts are going to be lower so i would say Full, I think all three are going to be low, um, and I think TJ's just not going to play enough minutes. He might hit somewhere around 30 again um, on fewer minutes. Maybe that's a bigger part of his game this season, but I just think he's not going to take a lot, um, and I think there's a better chance that Fultz, I guess, goes, you know, in my in my going under on the 45, I was thinking there is a chance that he is way over that, like he's close to 100 or something. Um yeah, I don't think that'll happen, but that's much more likely to be than Muscala. Be, Muscala's number being really high. Um, yeah. Okay, my last one: uh, three-point percentage. Embiid, Fultz, Amir Johnson, and oh god, oh damn it! For reference, I like this one. So for reference, um, Embiid shot thirty point eight percent last season. Fultz, yeah. Fultz, we've talked about. Um, and Amir Johnson shot 31.3. So Amir Johnson was a shade above Embiid on about 200 fewer attempts. Uh, and then Fultz, we've talked about. I'm going to go Fultz, Amir, Embiid. What do you think Embiid's number is going to be this year? If I, I'll, I'll give you percentages in all three. Like 34 and a half. For Fultz, 
I'll say like 32.8 for Amir because he's worked on his shot a little bit too. He's not doing that where he's like basically touching the floor, coming up with it. It seems like he's shortened the shot a little bit. And then for Amir, I'd say like 31.6. Okay, I'm, I'm in a similar place, but I'm actually going to go Amir Johnson 1, Markel Fultz 2, MB 3. And my numbers are going to mm. be something like, I think Amir took 32 threes last year and hit 31.3%. I'm going to say he's closer to like 34 or 35% this year and just not that many attempts. Um, right. He's only going to take him when he's open in the corner or whatever. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go like 34 and a half percent for Amir for full. So I'm going to go like 32 or 33%. And then I think Embiid's going to hover around 31% again. Um, and my hope is he just take, maybe that number goes up if he takes fewer threes, which I hope he does. Um, I yeah. just think more and more we're kind of realizing that's not, it's part of his game as a seven, two guy, but I just think it's not, he's so good at everything else. It just doesn't make sense to, to utilize him that way and have him pick and pop it. Yeah, as exactly. Much as he did last season. Like he took 215 yeah, I mean, threes I, last year, which is just way too many. I think if you, you know, if you want to utilize him and I hate to compare the names, but if you want to utilize him in the kind of the way that like you used Spencer Hawes as a three-point shooter when he first started shooting them, kind of just like as a trailer off of the inbound play when like there's just they're just like kind of really camping out under the under the rim to wait for him to come down, or you know maybe even like a little pick and pop deal, that's fine. But I I don't think he should be taking more than like two and a half a game max, and that's like pushing it. I'd rather have it at like one point two or 1.3 probably i agree yeah and even if he was shooting 33 percent or whatever i just think it's not it's not super valuable you you have no chance of getting fouled like you know right. a big part of his game is getting to the free throw line and getting other guys in foul trouble like you're taking yourself out of that you're taking him away from the rim for offensive rebounding um you're not really putting as much pressure on the defense i mean i guess they have to step out to contest but i don't even think they're really doing that um, I'd right. much rather get him into the post or the high post and work off of that. Um, I just I just want him inside. And I think you can do kind of a – I think the offense might in some ways look similar to like 2009 Magic when you would have these lineups where you would throw Howard into the post and just put four shooters around him or just have guys cutting around or moving around the perimeter. Um, I want more of that than what we've had yeah. at this point. I think Embiid's gotten to the, the – the point in his career and is is dominant enough inside that it just it's like a nice novelty but that's about it yeah i completely agree um all right that's all i have uh all we right. went pretty long this week um so we might roll over questions into uh we didn't get that many questions this week but we'll probably roll them over into our next episode which we'll do after yeah plus i mean the next one will be yeah after this the season has started so the questions will more apply to the on-court thing than where they're like oh what do you think this will look like this year which you know, we, we like taking those questions, but there's, you know, really only so many predictions we can make and then we'll just all look like enormous fools once the season actually starts anyway. And we so. just spent we just spent like an hour and twenty minutes making fools of ourselves with predictions. That's so true. it's probably enough. That's incredibly true. Yep. All right, well thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back uh, once the season starts and uh, yeah. thanks again for listening. Thanks.
Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to The Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.